Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane. I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. Weber, welcome back. Thank you. Happy Monday to you fellas. Boys, it's our 50th episode. It's unbelievable that, uh, you know, this started with an idea of just kind of getting in the word together and um, it's turned into something that we just absolutely love doing each week. So um, really, really thankful for 50 episodes in. I'm learning a lot. <clears throat> Super fun that my daughter, Cece's, um, loves listening to the episode. So we chat about it. Um, and it's just a great connection point for us. And just, I, I've just been so encouraged by just being in the word with you guys. It's so fun. Yeah. And because we're pumped about 50 episodes, uh, we want to do a little giveaway. So be paying attention to our social media accounts this week. Um, boys, we're we going to give away. What do you think? Uh, I think Ben and I would like to give away, uh, a wedge and, you know, a wedge we've used before in competition. Um, people seem to always love wedges. There's so many different types of wedges out there. So yeah, I got I got a lot of good looking wedges to choose from. I got so my my wedge says cranium on the back because people call me cranium. Um, and so that's my stamp. Weber, what do you generally go with? Do you mix it up? Uh, what kind of stamp you put on your bokey wedge? I mix it up. I've had scripture before. I've had my kids' names on there, which that might be weird to send to somebody. <laughs> Jamesy. Jamesy. I'm back to Titus 3, 3 through 7. Uh, and that's on my current wedges. So maybe by the time we're ready to ship this wedge, it'll be time for retirement for a new 60. So that's probably what they'll get. I love it. All right. So we're going to we're going to each send a, a custom wedge that we've used in competition um in light of the 50th episode i like it and then can i throw one more thing in there what if, what if we offered two tickets to a tournament near you so a tournament that you boys are playing in if somebody wins uh our giveaway then we'll give them two tickets to a pga tour event on us perfect okay all right Done. so be paying attention to our social media to see how we're going to execute on that um not a lot of golf banter this time of year, Ben. So why don't you give us a golf tip? Golf tip. Okay, so <clears throat> Coach Joe Mayo is all about um, these certain numbers on a stock chip. And so if you have access to a TrackMan or a Golf Galaxy or um, somewhere, you know, a golf lab, anything that has a TrackMan or a Foresight, um, here's, the, here's the numbers. 15-yard chip that spins at least 5,000 RPMs, that launches between 26 and 29 um, with a dynamic loft around 46. So in order to accomplish those things, you're going to have to get an attack angle around minus eight to minus 10. That basically means that your low point is considerably in front of the golf ball. So have you ever seen a person who struggles with chipping who lands the club too far in front of the golf ball? It's never happened in the history of my lifetime. I've never seen it. All the good chippers land the club, you know, in front of the ball because you get consistent contact when you do that. So if you wanted to kind of do a little chipping challenge, those are your numbers. Um, and, um, and I'll tell you what, it leads to some pretty nasty, amazing spin. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been fun to work with Joe on this and see a lot of guys really come alive with their chipping, um, trying to produce these numbers. That, now, that's, a, that, that's not a lob shot. That's not a, like a super low one, whatever. That's kind of a stock shot. 
That is a tip for a good golfer too. I mean, I'm just thinking like to all our 12 handicap listeners out there who are not sure about 5,500 spin and attack angles. You're not thinking in those terms yet. If you're you put that like put that on the on the fourth grade shelf for us, boys. So if you're not if, if you're not doing that, if you want to do, just do something simple. <clears throat> when you pull up a golf ball to chip it, put another golf ball right next to it, and make sure that your divot is just slightly in front of that golf ball. So you put the two golf balls side by side, you chip one, make sure the low point, the divot is slightly in front of the ball and then to pull the next one up. So you always have those two balls next to each other, or you can just put a tee out right next to your golf ball to see where your low point is. And just the move your divot, you know, or the brush of the ground as far forward as you can. And to the point where you get like a blade shot, but you get rid of all the chunk shots, you know, so it's a, it's a nice way to, to find your low point. In the words of Joe Mayo, rip the cover off the golf ball on a, on a chip. And so hit to the listeners, hit the little ball before the big ball, meaning the golf ball before the earth. So a golf ball, nice divot, like Ben said, spin it like crazy. That's it. That's how you gain control by gaining friction. Love it. Love it. All right, boys. Well, the tour is playing in the Worldwide Technology Championship in Mexico this week at a Tiger Woods design. Uh, new era for Tiger. How about a question for y'all? Either your favorite golf course design or your favorite golf course. Just what golf course do you get on? And you're like, man, this is, I don't think it could be improved upon. All right. I'll jump in first. My favorite design golf course would be Marion. So I played USAM there. I got to play U.S. Open in 13 and actually played about three weeks ago. And every time I play it, I'm like, this course is the perfect you, – you, you hit every club in the bag. You got really, really short holes. You got a drivable hole. You got uh, the 13th hole is 120-yard par three. 17 is a 240-yard par three. Uh, it's an amazing mixture of different holes, different shots. Some holes are straight. Some are dog legs. Um, I don't think the golf course favors any one type of player or any length player. So I think for that, Marion's probably my favorite in terms of tee to green, just design uh, alone. I did not see that coming. Ben, what about you? You know, when I played one of the open championships at the old course, I got done playing and um, I was talking to Scott Verplank and he, and I said, Hey, what do you think of the course? You know, it's just, and he said, this course will teach you everything you'll ever want to know about playing golf. Mm. Like it teaches you to play golf because um, of the way the course is set up, the different winds, you know, you get different, a different course essentially every day because of the way the greens are set up. And it's just like, literally like they use the land. They really didn't move a lot of dirt around. Um, so anyway, that's the old course at St. Andrews. Um, it's just as you know, brilliance. The only thing I don't love about it is too many blind shots. You're kind of aiming at bushes, whatever. Um, but coming into the greens, it's really, really special. Great. All right. So at this uh, Worldwide Technology, we got picks, picks again this week. Um, not a huge field, but I think, Weber, you know who you want to go with. Who are you going with? I'm going with Cameron Young, fellow Demon Deacon. Uh, my old caddy, Paul Tesori, is out right now with the injured back. My current caddy, David Cook, a.k.a. Cookie, is working for Cam, so that's my pick. I'm going to jump right in because I'm actually looking at the field, so I know he's in the field. Sam Burns. 
<laughs> I'm going to go with Lucas Glover. Okay. Yeah. Nice I think he's, uh, you know, he's had a little bit of a break, probably still playing some amazing golf. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to have a nice week. I'm going to go with a little undercover pick, a guy named Chris Goderup. He's a rookie. Uh, he's pretty, pretty good player. Um, so I'm just rolling the dice. That's my pick. Great. I love that your reason is he's a pretty good player. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a ton about him. I've just seen him play pretty good lately. So I'm like, you know, maybe this is his week. Gotta pick the guy who's a pretty good player. <laughs> <laughs> like there's anybody out there who's not a pretty good player? Yeah. They give sponsor exceptions to someone who's not a good golfer. No. Oh, gosh. Um, all right, boys. Well, we're continuing our series. Who do you think you are? Um, you don't have to look long or far to realize the world is having an identity crisis everywhere we look. People are searching um, to define themselves, to make themselves significant or important. And as we've seen over and over and over again, the Bible has a lot to say about who we are. It gives us a brand new identity in Christ. And in the first eight weeks of this series, we've looked at all these different realities that have become true about those who believe in Christ. Um, kind of identity defining realities. We're justified, redeemed, reconciled, adopted, new creations, members of Christ's body, saints. We're completely secure. That is who we are if we're Christians. Those things are not up for debate. And then in the last couple of episodes, we've made a slight shift. Even though we're continuing with the same theme of our identity, instead of looking at realities that are already true of us, we're now looking at realities that ought to be true of us if we understand what Christ has done. So last week with Jason Allred, we saw that in light of who, Jay, in light of who Jesus is, not, not Jason, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, we ought to be disciples. By his word and by his spirit, we want to follow him. And today, in light of those same realities, we're going to see that not only should we be disciples, but we ought to be servants. And so, Ben, will you pray for our time today? And then, Webb, you can read Mark 10, 35 to 37, and then 41 to 45 for us. Lord God, thanks for this time uh, with my friends and others. Lord, we, um, we want to honor you. We want to know you. We want to glorify you. And, um, Lord, we want to rightly um, know our identity. So um, it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark 10. Uh, 35 through 37, and then 41 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And when, he, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. So to, to see our before picture this week. We're going to look at the different players in this story. And if we look carefully enough, I think we're going to see a picture that resembles us deep down. So right there in verse 35, who are we introduced to? James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Okay, so these are two of 
uh, three who are in Jesus's inner circle. And we're getting close in Mark chapter 10 to the death of Jesus. And these guys have something they want to say to the Lord. And so what do they say there in the second part of verse 35? We want something. We want you to do something for us. Exactly. All right. So they're nearing Jerusalem. These two dudes who are, have been with Jesus the last three years, they say, Lord, we got something we want to ask you. We want you to do something for us. And how does the Lord, who's so gracious, respond? Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, just think about that. Can y'all imagine looking at Jesus Christ in the eyes saying like, <laughs> Lord, I need something from you. And he looks back at you and says, all right, what do you want me to do for you? Right. It's such an invitation. Um, and these guys now have the ability to ask anything. Mm. And what do they want? What do, what do they seem to want more than anything? Verse 37. We want to sit at your right hand um, and your left hand in your glory next to you when you're in glory. Okay. So what, what are they asking? They're asking to be like the most powerful men outside of Jesus um, in the world, in the universe. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. And, and, and why do you think they want it? What do you think they're wanting? You know, in addition to that power, why, why do you think they're motivated to ask that? I mean, I think they probably recognize that Jesus is about to be head over this new kingdom and they want a peace. So their motives are probably mixed. They're probably good motives in the sense they're going to follow him. And they want to be with him and they believe in him. So they want to sit with him and support him. But the motives are also probably the other way of like wanting glory for themselves, knowing that with Jesus will probably come power and they want to jump all over that and be the first to, to try to get it. I yeah. relate to it. Like, <clears throat> Hey, we've been, we've been with you, Jesus. We've really helped you out. <laughs> now we want you to help us out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Scratch right. my back. I'll scratch yours. It's time yeah. for that promotion, you know, yeah. pay my dues. <laughs> um, yeah. These guys are headed to Jerusalem. They still don't understand fully what's going to happen. They don't understand, even though Jesus told them that he's going to die and rise. Um, and so they think he's probably going to go in and handle business and set up his kingdom. And when he does, they want those positions of authority, the highest positions of authority. They want to be above their peers. They want to be great. They want to be viewed as great. Now, before I ask you boys how you might relate to them, um, if you were one of the other disciples, if you were one of the 10, how do you think you'd be feeling? If you're, you're, you're all walking together and you hear these two ask that. I'd be so mad. <laughs> but if I, if I was looking at my motive, why I was mad, I'd probably be saying like, oh man, I, I kind of wanted to ask that too. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And, and if you look at verse 41, that's almost exactly what we're told, right? What, we don't really have to wonder why they felt because Mark tells us how they felt. What's verse 41 say? And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Yeah. So to be indignant means to be angry or annoyed about something that seems to be unfair. And these, so these other 10 look at James and John's request and they are angry because they wanted the exact same thing. And here's how we know they wanted the exact same thing. All you got to do is go back one chapter. And what are we told in Mark 9, 33 and 34? And then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for 
on the way, they'd argue with one another about who is the greatest. <laughs> yes. Okay, guys. So literally immediately after the Lord tells them he's going to Jerusalem to die and rise, like literally the most important news ever. What are these boys fighting about? Who does the greatest among them? Yeah. Who can hit it? Their fight? eyes on themselves. Yep. And their, their eyes at, at no point should be more on Jesus now than any other. And they're just like sitting there having this little fight amongst themselves. No, I'm better than you. No, you're, I did this. I serve him more. I, I deserve it. Like, I mean, this is such a terrible parallel, but it just came to mind. Kyle Berkshire, the world long drive guy, just setting records. It'd be like me and Ben on the driving range with each other right beside Kyle with 225 mile an hour ball speed, me and Ben arguing about who can hit it further. And yet right. Kyle's right here. Right. <laughs> it's so silly, right? So these 10 are mad, not because of the pride and arrogance and audacity of James and John. They're mad uh, because the sons of Zebedee beat them to the punch. They wanted the exact same thing, okay? Now, here's what we gotta see about ourselves. If all 12 disciples cared about being great, if they all wanted authority and recognition, what do you think we can conclude about human nature? Like, what can you, what can we conclude about ourselves? What do we want? We're selfish. We want to just serve ourselves. We just are thinking about ourselves and not considering um, certainly who Jesus is as we should. And we certainly aren't considering other people as we should. Mm. Yeah. Well said. That's our before picture. When it comes to this topic of service, our before picture, apart from Christ, is that we're servants of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's where that's where we find ourselves. We're just like these guys. We're either like the two who've got the boldness to ask for it, or we're like the ten who are mad that somebody else is getting it. Okay, so the good news is there, there can be an after picture for us, right? And now we get to some of the most wonderful teaching from Jesus. Um, and, and here's what's just amazing about Jesus Christ. In this moment, if you're Jesus, it would be so easy to hammer these guys, yep. to shame them, to embarrass them, but he doesn't do that. He, he just instructs them and then he redirects them and then he gives them an example to follow. That's what he does for us too. And so first he instructs them. What, what does Jesus say to these guys who are asking for this in verse 42? You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, so what's he saying about how the world works? How does worldly authority and leadership work? Uh, it, it works by those who are in power take advantage of their power and use it to show their power to the people that they're in control, that they're going to exercise authority over their people that they rule. Yes, Exactly. And that's how we look at greatness in the world. The more and more people that I can get to serve me, the more and more people I can get to work for me, um, the greater that I am. That's how authority in the world works. You lift yourself up above other people and then they work for you. Yeah. Um, but Jesus redirects his disciples after telling them that's how it works in the world. What's the first phrase in verse 43? But it shall not be so among you. Yeah. So what's he saying to them? That's not how this is going to go down. Yeah. Even though the world works that way, buddy, that's not how we're going to work. If you're going to be my followers, we're going to go about it a different way. Hmm. And instead of shaming them for wanting greatness, Jesus redefines what greatness actually is. So and good. so what does he say in 43B and 44? 
whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant and whoever will be first among you must be a slave to all. Yes. So what's he saying here about true greatness? How's he redirecting his boys? If you're looking to, to glorify me, if you're looking um, to lay yourself down, pick up your cross and follow me, if you're willing and actively trying to do these things, then you can, you can follow me and you really are actually great. Hey, in the words of a great Virginia born preacher named Dave Owen, he just titled him or he just said in a message, uh, don't chase the title, pick up the towel, hmm. right? The last act, which I'm sure we're going to get there and I might be jumping ahead. The last act, he grabs a towel and cleans their feet, right? Hmm. So we're conditioned to chase the title, the CEO, and like you guys are saying, he said, no, 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 we're going to do it differently. Like, we're going to serve. We're going to wow. be last. Yes. I, don't you love here, fellas, how the Lord is not telling his boys, don't pursue greatness. He's right. just telling them, yes, pursue greatness. But I want to tell you what greatness actually is. That's right. Greatness is actually service. Mm. Um, and then he, after instructing them and redirecting them, then in verse 45, he gives them, an example, the example of himself. And what does he say in 45? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, now here's, we, we've talked about this before when we were talking about Jesus in the, the first 40 or so episodes, but this title, Son of Man, this is a subtle flex from the Lord, right? It comes from Daniel 7, and it refers to this one who's got dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all nations and people serve him. That's who Jesus is. He's the highest position of authority in the universe. And yet, why did he come? To serve, to give yeah. his life. Yes. He came to serve with all that he is. Mm -hmm. And he's telling his boys, boys, that's what greatness is. If you're going to be my disciple, that's the example I want you to follow. Now, I just want to show you three three ways super quick that the Lord served before we kind of apply this to us. And Webb already hit the first one. So Jesus serves us in his life. He serves us in his death. And then we're going to actually see he's going to serve again in the age to come. But Webb, you already talked about what Jesus did on the last night of his life. Okay, so let's just think about this for a minute. It's just a matter of hours before Jesus is killed, unjustly killed. And he's got one final meal with his boys. Yeah. And what does he do at the very beginning of that meal? Well, what's fascinating about the Last Supper, one of the many things is what's about to come. Not only is he about to die, but his disciples, his closest friends who've been with him are about to betray him. Mm -hmm. And even knowing that, he gets up and he gets down in the dirt nastiness of their dirty feet. And he starts cleaning their feet. I mean, this is the one he needs to have his feet clean, clean, who John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And mm -hmm. that one, that king, that Messiah is cleaning these boys feet who are just idiots arguing about stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. And man, what a new perspective he's given them on this last supper. Yes. So everything Jesus does in his entire life is an act of service. All the miracles, all the healing, all the teaching, all the instruction. 
and it culminates in this final night where he just lays down his life for his buddies and he serves them. He takes the position of the lowest servant. He does something a Jewish servant wouldn't even be allowed to do, wash their feet. Um, so he serves in his life. Obviously, he serves in his death, right? We see in Mark 10, 45, that he gave his life as a ransom for many. So why don't you just refresh us and how his death is a service to us? Well, his death is a service to us in the sense that because he took all of our sin upon himself on that cross, it's the greatest act of service that could ever happen to us because it's taken our sin, put it on him, and then he's given us his righteousness, Second mm-hmm. um, Corinthians 5, 21. And so because of that, it's um, that serving, that, um, that selflessness um, has given us life. It's literally like given us eternal life um, and a life that um, has meaning and value now. Yes. Yes. That death is the, is the, the act that saves us forever. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no higher service than that. There's no service that costs more than that. Right. It's the greatest act of service ever. Now here's, what's really cool. And it shows you how much our Lord, our, our leader, our master value service. There's a, a few little verses in Luke 12 that often go overlooked and they talk about Jesus at his, at his return at the second coming. And I just want you to read this because I want you to see how much the Lord values service. So Luke 12, 35 to 40 or 35 to 37. What do those verses say? They dress for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. All right, I just want you to think about this. This is wild. When Jesus comes back, what will happen for those who have been waiting on him faithfully? Jesus will dress himself and come and serve us. It's backwards. <laughs> I mean, is that a shocker? Yes. Like, it's unbelievable. It's you, you just can't even like what? Am I reading that right? It's just shocking. I my sister in law um, worked at Chick Fil A for a long time, and every uh, you know year they'll have this big owner operator deal uh, conference down. I think it was maybe in Orlando. And one year, as Truett Kathy was getting older, they sat down for dinner the first night, all the owner operators and all the staff, and Truett Kathy was dressed as the wait staff and he waited tables on all the Chick-fil-A employees that night. And that's just like a small little picture, a wow. small little illustration of what Jesus Christ is going to do at the end of the age, hmm. right? To all of us who should be serving him, he is going to serve us while we recline at table. Yeah. It shows you what he values. Okay. And it shows us as his followers, what we ought to value. Amen. Okay, so now let's move to that. Let's move to application. And uh, I want to pick up really just where Webb took us. So right after the foot washing, so now we're going to the last night of Jesus' life. And who is he with? He's with James and John and the 10 who are indignant. And he's sitting down for their last supper. And after he washes their feet, he gives them some instruction. He teaches them about service. And what does he say in John 13, 12 to 17? 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you not or do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay. All right. So let's just start with 12 to 15. What's Jesus's logic to his buddies after he's washed their feet? I mean, I'm the teacher. I'm the Lord. If I have just washed your feet and served you humbly, then go and do the same. Mm-hmm. Imitate me. Do what I do. Yes. 100%. And then he says to those of us who think like, man, I want to be a Christian, but I don't really want to do that. Okay. Verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So what's his logic to those of us who see this? And we're like, man, I don't really know if I want to serve. I mean, nobody's exempt. Exactly. I mean, if he's the greatest and he served, then we have to serve. We, we got no choice. Yes. Just, just like I served you. Now, if you're going to really be my disciple, if you're really going to learn from me, if you're really going to follow me, you're, this is what you're signing up for. You're expected to serve. Right. No one's too good for that. And but it's not just this command. Okay. It comes with sweet good news in verse 17. He holds out a promise. And what's that promise, Ben? Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Yeah. And what's the idea there? Like if you serve others, you're going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the way this works. That's just this upside down kingdom that he's set up. It's just when you do this, you will be blessed. And it's so true. Like when you serve, when you give, you walk away with a heart full. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord just brings encouragement into your heart. And it's just, it truly is greater than being served. Mm -hmm. So let's just, let's talk about this kind of in three categories as we start to land the plane here. Um, First, just living as a servant in general, embracing that identity as a servant of Christ and a servant of others. Um, question for y'all, what does this look like in your life? And then what should this look like look like in the life of the everyday Christian, just to embrace this role as servant? I mean, I think as a husband and a father of five kids, there are going to be opportunities for me every day to serve. Um, and this is something, honestly, I've been wanting to grow in lately is not just serving when it's convenient for me, but serving, like if I see a need, do it then and now. Um, It could be cleaning up for the family, as simple as that from dinner. Um, It could be writing a little note to one of my kids, serving them that way with some scripture. Um, Really, service at the end of the day is, even if it is inconvenient for us, what we're doing, we're imparting a blessing to whoever we're serving. Um, And a lot of times, I don't feel like serving, but thank the Lord, we don't live by our feelings. Uh, and so serving is a choice. And usually if I choose to serve in that moment, my feelings of blessing, like this feels good, will come and catch up. Um, I've never served anyone and not regret, you know, and regretted it after. It yeah. always feels good. Kind of what Jesus is saying, blessed are those if you do them, you know, and um, I, I think that's, good to remember that it always feels good to serve. 
Yeah. And it's so good because it's the exact opposite of when we serve ourselves, there's an immediate gratification, but then there's a delayed dissatisfaction. Yeah. When we serve, there's a delayed satisfaction at the beginning, but then there's this deep gratification that comes as we're doing it. And as we complete that task, so we see James and John, we see James and John and they're asking to be great. And we know that ultimately that's, and you know, Jesus is so kind to misdirect them or to gently direct them towards the real way to find satisfaction in him and in serving. Um, and just, you know, to serve someone is to do the absolute best you can for that person. And so when I'm thinking of serving my family, what's the best that I can do for them? It's, it's to lead them to Jesus, right? Yeah. And it's to, it's to um, be excited about what Christ has done in my life and sharing it with others, or be excited about Scripture. To, to lead spiritually is honestly the best thing that I can generally do for my family, yeah. you know? And that's also with friends too, right? To love them, to serve them. To love sometimes is difficult, right? To love our enemies, to love the people that are not like us, right? But to do the best that we can for them is to serve them. Amen. Yep. So we want to be servants in general. And then let me just show you a couple other areas in particular that we can be servants. And I think this should give excitement to more and more areas of our life as we follow Christ. But Colossians 3, 23 and 24, some familiar verses tell, tell us whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So what do these verses communicate about our work? When you're working at something, work to it as though you're working to the Lord, because that's mm-hmm. what glorifies and honors and serves him. Is that only true for Christian things? No. What's the phrase? Verse 23, first three words. Whatever you do. Unload the dishwasher. Taking the trash (laughs) out. I mean, cleaning your bathroom. You can do all that. Practicing how How does that reality, fellas, uh, that whatever you do, you can do it as service to the Lord? Um add color to your day-to-day life your work whatever you're doing today has value Mm -hmm. that's right yeah knowing knowing this verse or these two verses in colossians 3 that it's like the fuel it's the true fuel that makes that helps me work the hardest Mm -hmm. right i can go to the range i can grind i can practice golf to get better to make much of myself and that might be fine for a little bit but it'll run out the fuel will run out because at the end of the day, people come and go. Um, but if my fuel is, Webb, you can honor the Lord, and that is a sweet feeling, then that is that gives me great purpose out there. Yes, and that can be true for every single listener, whether you're a student, whether you're a businessman, no matter what you're doing, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, no matter what you're doing, you can do it as an offering to the Lord, as a service to the Lord. Um, it's a life-changing reality. Okay, and then there's one final way that it's just worth noting when we're talking about service. Um, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he tells us about how we can do that with different gifts. And the reason is that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
So what, what truth is being communicated in these verses as it pertains to service? Um, that we've all been given gifts uh, uniquely designed by God. And they're not just for our own enjoyment, but they're for the good of others. Like they're for the good of those who are in our life. And we're going to need strength along the way. And what does it say? It says the strength that God supplies so mm -hmm. that God may be glorified, not Webb Simpson, Ben Crane, William Kane, so that God would be glorified through us. Um, that's a sweet gift. Yes. So it, these like spiritual gifts that God gives, they're unique to each person and no, no real Christian is without them. So how have you guys just kind of experienced using your gifts for the good of other people? And how would you encourage our listeners to lean into that, to pursue that? Yeah, whatever I, I've experienced it and, you know, like just using my golf to whether it's helping someone on the range who's struggling, you know, and just going up and just helping them um, <clears throat> because God's given me a gift and I can in turn um, use it. So, you know, I've been blessed to be a blessing and to serve. And so that's one fun way or to, you know, I'm a little further along in parenting than some of my friends to to share some of the things that we've done wrong or that we've done right in parenting. You know, I just, I love to share what it is that God's given us um, to encourage others. It's just a great gift and joy. Yeah. And as you do that, whether it's through golf or through parenting or Ben, I love, you got this plan this next year to take, you know, four to six young pros under your wing and just disciple them in, in golf, but also in, the Bible and the Christian life and in being a husband, you know, so you're, you're serving in a specific way that's, that's specific to you. When you do stuff like that, after you have served, again, just to hammer home verse 17, how do, how do you feel? Like, what impact does it have on you? Yeah, I had a call with one of the young pros that is 25 years old and, and, um, you know, just missed at first stage of Q school, but he has so much potential and I'm just helping him put together a plan for the next, you know, month, the next year, um, and how to play professional golf. And the Lord's blessed me with 25 years in professional golf. You know, I'm in this period where I'm, you know, two years away from the Champions Tour, and I just have this time where I'm not playing as much. And so I'm walking um, my friend Bo through, you know, equipment and coaching and travel and you know, schedule and all that stuff, whatever. And I just feel full. Like, I just feel like so encouraged. And, um, you know, I just said to him before the last round of first stage, I said, just go out and glorify God on every shot. Like that's your job is not to go out there and shoot this number. That's going to get you in your job is just to glorify God um, in this. And it, and it frees us up. And then it, in turn gives me great encouragement. Mm -hmm. Hey, William, can I say one thing, please just to encourage you, Ben, uh, you know, I think as Christians, like there's this fine line. We want to walk in humility, but also we've read some scripture today to see that God has gifted each Christian in a unique way or unique ways. And I think, Ben, you've done such a phenomenal job of walking humbly in your marriage, walking humbly as a father, but also not shying away from you're a great husband and you're a great father and you and Heather have run the race well. And so you're not going to keep these 
things that y'all have done well inside so no one can benefit from them, but you've humbly shared them with people who want to know, like, how can I do this better as a parent? How can I train my child better? How can I share the gospel better with my family? And so I just think you've done a great job of uh, recognizing, hey, the Lord's given us a sweet marriage. Praise to him. The Lord's given us a sweet family. And Heather and I have taken this parenting stuff serious. Um, and I want to share that with young husbands, young uh, parents out there. And so uh, to the listeners, if you do have a gift, don't be afraid to kind of step into that and bless other people with that gift and, and share it. Yeah, so well said, Weber. Um, yeah, so what does this all mean for our identity? Well, though we once used to be servants of ourselves in Christ, we've become servants of God and others. That's what true greatness really is. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we want to pursue. Um, so if you're listening to this, ask yourself, man, where am I naturally gifted from God? Where am I spiritually gifted from God? And then just like Webb exhorted us, how then can I put that into play? How can I step out there and use it to bless others? It'd be a great application for each of us after this episode. Our memory verse this week is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the socials under the handle at Bible Caddy. We'll be back next week with our final episode. And who do you think you are? Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Oh, oh, oh.